Walks like an animal, talks like an animal, must be an animal. Come here, the animal, talking animal, talking animal. Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Annette Rubusky, founder and president of the Laughing Pig Sanctuary, located in Bartow, Florida. Laughing Pig provides a permanent home for elderly and abused animals, primarily, as the name suggests, pigs. Laughing Pig has developed a reputation for stepping in and saving pigs around the precipice of some dark fate or another about to be slaughtered or euthanized or auctioned off. And, of course, those auctions often lead to one of those awful outcomes as well. But not on Rubleski's watch. She has a stellar track record of working with other sanctuaries, organizations like Florida Voices for Animals, FVA, and other entities to truly rescue pot-bellied pigs and others, sometimes including feral pigs. In recent months, for example, Laughing Pig took in a pig named Ziggy from the Critter Place Sanctuary in Wikiwachi, which we've highlighted on the show in years past when the man running the Critter Place became ill and could no longer care for those animals living there. Rubleski will also be a speaker at FBA's Have a Heart Annual Awards Dinner and Auction Fundraiser February 25th at Solid Rock Community School in Tarpon Springs, an event where FBA also announces its Animal Hero and Activist of the Year Awards. So tickets to Have a Heart are still available at floridavoicesforanimals.org. Meanwhile, we'll cover various aspects of the Laughing Pig Sanctuary when I speak with Annette Rubleski in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. I also want to let you know support for WNF comes from listeners like you and the Strauss Center presenting National Geographic Live, Wild Hope with Amy Vitale. On February 21st, photographer and filmmaker Amy Vitale shares her stories with the reintroduction of white rhinos and giant pandas to the wild as well as Kenya's first indigenous-owned and run elephant sanctuary. More at StraussCenter.org. Couple of programming notes. Exactly one week from today, on February 22nd, WNS Winter Fund Drive begins, and Talking Animals will be raising money that morning. I've been assigned a fundraising goal of $2,800 in an hour. Yikes! To help reach that goal, I'm hoping I can count on your pledge, ideally before our Fund Drive show next Wednesday. How about now? Now would be excellent. While you're thinking about it, of course. Please visit WNF.org. Find the Talking Animals page on the uh, programming broadcast schedule. You'll see the tip jar in the upper corner and just drop in a donation of any size is appreciated. 35, 50, if you can spend 100 or more, 200 even, that would be great. Really help us get towards that goal. And if you're a fan of the show, if you've enjoyed the weekly interviews, if you appreciate the work we've been doing for nearly 20 years on Talking Animals, please donate on our behalf. And as usual, we'll have some exclusive Talking Animals thank you gifts for pledges at various levels. A pair of killer tickets to the Wilco concert to a spiffy cat apron, our most popular gift last fun drive, to a new dog apron in the interest of equal time, to copies of an inventive novel featuring a pelican hero, and we have some Talking Animals t-shirts as well that we'll be offering. So you can see details and photos of all the exclusive Talking Animals thank you gifts by visiting TalkingAnimals.net. So please consider pledging today in support of WMNF and Talking Animals. Thank you so much. 
Also later in today's show, I'll be giving away a pair of tickets to see that National Geographic Live Wild Hope with Amy Batali presentation at the Strata Center on February 21st. So we'll probably hook that to name that animal tune. But if you're interested and you'd like to go and you're available to go on February 21st, if you want to email me, I'll probably set you up with that one. I have one remaining pair of tickets. Be first come, first serve. Also coming up later in today's program, I'll speak with Nancy Murrah, CEO of the Raptor Center of Tampa Bay, about a club she created for young people age 8 through 18, aiming to cultivate an appreciation of nature. The club is called Nature's Guardian. It meets monthly. The next meeting will be, in fact, this Friday, February 17th. So we'll hear details about all that in today's program just a little bit later in the show. Right now, though, let's talk pigs and more with Annette, with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Annette Rubusky, Rubusky, sorry, on Talking Animals on WMNF. I thought I, I thought I had it down, and then I, I bumbled it right at the last second, Annette. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Duncan. That's okay. It's not the first time it's happened, and I'm sure it won't be the last. No, I know, but I, I've been working on it, and I've got it right. I think the other references in the show, and then right when I'm introducing you, of course, is when I bobble it, so I apologize. Oh, that's okay. Oh, no, no worries. Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, uh, thanks for thanks, thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals. And uh, you know, people who create sanctuaries, I, I found over the years, often have intriguing, sometimes colorful backgrounds. Their origin stories are often marked by uh, much time spent with animals growing up, or conversely, the opposite. Sometimes they they grew up in situations where their parents didn't really like animals, didn't allow them in the home, and so on. So we'll get into all that with you in a minute or two. But first, let's begin with a more fundamental question or two. When did you first start loving pigs? Um, it has been, uh, I'm actually from uh, South Florida, and I moved here, Central Florida, and Bartow in 2005. And probably about six months after moving here, I acquired my first piglet, which was at that time, um, what they call wet market. It was a, a live market, and um, this gentleman had uh Chickens and rabbits and pigs, piglets, and uh, of course they were for human consumption, but they never really said too much about that. So I took my first piglet home then, and um, he was shaking, he was so scared. And it was an adorable little black piglet, and um, I named him Chopper. And, you know, who would have known at that moment of my life that it seemed so insignificant at that time that it really did change my life? And um, I began to fall in love with pigs. So what prompted you initially, though, to get that particular piglet? What was your thinking then, or what was your reaction that, that persuaded you to say, hey, I've got to, I've got to get this piglet here? Um, honestly, honestly, not much of a thought process. It was just a whim. Let me go see what the animals, let me go see what they have. And he looked duped, and I said, let me, you know, let me take them. And then since then, I, I went back and I uh, took two females from the same location, and I adopted a, a bunny from there, so um, I saved a few lives. Yeah. Right. Yes. And he uh, he was uh, he lived to be sixteen. Wow. Mm-hmm. And how long do, do pigs typically live? Uh, anywhere from twenty to twenty five years. Twenty five years is pretty rare. Uh, twenty years is good. It's a, it's a life. It's a long commitment once you commit to a pig. That's for sure. Yeah. So when you got that one piglet, although you did go back for a couple more females and the bunny, et cetera, I mean, at what point when you first did that, I'm sure you weren't thinking at all like, hey, I'm going to probably start helping pigs. I mean, when did it kind of spin into a direction where it's like, okay, well, I've got the one and then I got the two more and then... <laughs> What's a few 
anymore after two. Well, um, no, I just mean that, like, when, when did it in your head, did you say, hey, I, I, yeah, I love these uh, animals and that's why I got them initially, but maybe there's something I can do here. Maybe there's a sense of purpose that I can bring to this. Um, Actually, when I um, started on social media with Facebook, I, I really had no idea that there were other people such as myself that kept pigs as pets and um, had the admiration that I that I have for them, the love, uh, uh, and thought that they're just amazing. So um, once I started reaching out to uh, Facebook, which is our my predominant social media platform, yeah, um, I realized that there was a need, and it's an extreme need um, for rescue. Everyone loves the you know the the little pop belly piglets; they look so cute. Um, and then now, uh, unfortunately, the breeders have added some names to them, such as micro, nano, teacup, pocket, which in all reality, none of that exists. Um, That's just so. to kind of lure people into saying, hey, well, this pig actually won't get that big, so Correct. surely this person will want to take it home. Correct. It's a, it's a, selling, it's a selling, you know, tool. tool. Yeah. And um, then, unfortunately, for various reasons, either... The owner is not zoned to have a pot belly pig, or they the pig gets too big because the breeder said it was only going to be sixty pounds, and you know it's gained weight. But for various reasons, then they want to rehome the pig. You know. Yeah. So, at what point? I mean, when you first moved to Barto in two thousand five, did you have a big spread of land, or did you were you like already kind of inherently equipped in ways you hadn't even thought about maybe at the time, but to no, I. I, I purchased, um, I, we have almost six acres, and I did come with menagerie. I already had dogs and cats and an iguana. What else? Maybe I might have even had a rabbit at that time, so it's, it's hard for me to recall. But I, I came with a, a little bit of a menagerie. Yeah. So the land just helped me expand. So did you expand then from that initial six acres as uh, Laughing Pig started to kind of grow? No, no. Uh, I already had neighbors around me, so there was really no uh, where to expand. Band, uh, we all, you know, we're all on, you know, five, ten acres lots. Is it so? You know, I think uh, what I, the amount of land that we have is adequate. Yeah. The amount of pigs that we have. Yeah. So, how many pigs are currently uh, living at Laughing Pig? There are twenty-two. Twenty-two. There are twenty-two, which is a, a very small sanctuary. Yeah. And how does that square relative to capacity in terms of giving them the kind of space that they really need to do what what pigs do and live like pigs live? I mean, how many more? Let's put it another way. How many more besides twenty-two could you add under one circumstance or another? Um. Quite a few, actually, because they don't require that much area. Yeah. Um, I do have a section, um, my back acre sectioned off for cemetery purposes. So, of course, I wouldn't want the pigs to be there. Because yeah. Of your um, but um, I, I could acquire more. I prefer not to. I think I'm comfortable um, because I, I'm the primary caretaker. So I would, I prefer to be called like an assisted living facility for pigs. I, you know, I like to spend the time with them and, and, you know, unfortunately, there are many sanctuaries. Some sanctuaries have 300, 500 pigs. And thank goodness for them, because otherwise they would probably be euthanized. But that is not what our sanctuary wants to do. Yeah. You know, most of these pigs have already been um, through a, a difficult time. They've been abused. They've been abandoned. We have several that are blind, whether it's through age or um, they're obese, so they're fat blind. Uh, they've got issues. You know, they are critic. So they need that more, you know, more of a one-on-one care. Yeah. 
So do people now know if they've got an issue with a pig or, again, they bought the uh, baloney about, like, the micro pig that will never get that big and then, of course, it got giant and they couldn't they couldn't care for it anymore or whatever their story might be. Do they know, hey, if I contact the net, I think we can find a home for this pig? Um, yes. There's, through the social platforms, there are um, avenues, you know, to call us. They're very, you know, I, I get a phone call almost every day, or I'm reached out to almost every day. Yeah. I'm asking for pigs to be rehomed. There are some fabulous networks throughout the United States that uh, use social media in order to um, rehome and and transport throughout the U.S. Because right now, sanctuaries and rescues are pretty much just shuffling. And what I mean by that is we are so over by the need. There's approximately, I, I can safely say that there was about 8,000 pigs in rescues and sanctuaries within the United States right now. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot. Yes. And they are, I, I, they're, they're starting to be euthanized in um, like animal control and stuff like that. So when people can't find a home for them at, at one of those other sanctuaries or rescues, that kind of leads to a bad fate for that pig, it sounds like. Yes. Often they'll just abandon it. If they move, they'll just leave the pig there or they will let it loose to uh, care for itself. And then you find it wandering around, you know, looking for a home, looking for food. Oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. That yeah, no, it sounds tough, and it sounds like it's it's on a large scale. If we're talking about eight thousand pigs that that do have places currently to live, I can only imagine extrapolating from there how many probably don't have homes that need homes. Correct, correct. This so is- we've introduced a new species of domesticated pets into the house, into the household, which are popular pigs, and they're wonderful. If you do a little bit of research, you have them spayed and neutered. You give them a little bit of room to root and let them be a pig. Um, they're wonderful pets. But if you don't do your research and you don't spay and neuter, it can be problematic. And in the long run, it's just the pig that's going to suffer. Yeah. Pigs are very intelligent. They're the fourth most intelligent animal on the planet. Most people don't know that. And and who who's done that ranking? The pigs? No. <laughs> Uh, no, they, I mean, if they're probably well. smart enough to rank themselves that high. Yeah, that's probably, good. Probably, yeah. probably. I like that. Yeah, um, yeah they're, very, they're very intelligent. They uh, they bond. They bond to the humans. They're uh, extremely emotional. They're, they're really deep animals. That's everything I've always heard and, and, and been told over the years on this show and elsewhere, the supreme intelligence of pigs. And it seems like it's even across species of pigs that, Almost regardless, they're all highly intelligent. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's yeah, take, uh, let's take a call. We got somebody who wants to get in on the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Annette Rubesky. Hi, Duncan. Um, I don't know how related this is. Um, for Valentine's Day the other day, I went to uh, Bob Evans, and at the checkout counter, they have these aprons, kitchen aprons, with a little spoon in the pocket. But on the front, there's a pig, and it shows the pig's heart in red. And then the saying on it says, don't go bacon my heart. <laughs> I thought it was cute. I thought I'd share that with you. Uh, okay. All right. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Bye. So I'm, I'm going to guess, Annette, you probably don't go in much for, uh, you know, bacon humor or puns or whatever with, with as attached as you are uh, to these pigs. Yeah, correct, correct. Yeah. That's, that's correct. Um, it, it's just a disconnect. Um, yeah, uh, well, let's, let's talk about that because... 
One of the things that even just in kind of getting the word out a little bit about that I was going to be speaking to you today with some social media posts and some other things. I mean, people really respond and clearly it's because they really feel strongly about pigs. People love pigs. People feel passionate about pigs. They had pigs when they were younger, whether they did or didn't. They just they have a like they feel like sounds like there's like a real connection that people have with pigs. Yeah, as you're kind of alluding to, I think there's also like a real cognitive dissonance that goes on a lot with pigs where they feel like, yeah, that that pig's super cute, but I'm making no connection between that and the ham sandwich I'm having at lunch today. You're absolutely right. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, people will say, look, you know, I love animals, but then, you know, that's another topic. You're talking about, you know, veganism and vegetarianism and things like that. Um, But there is even, even when you have like the food truck and they're cooking barbecue, they have a cute picture of Porky smiling, you know, and you're going, wait a minute, you're cooking the dead animal. I don't think that pig's going to be smiling. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's really interesting how people, the disconnect is sometimes deep and wide, uh, and those are good examples. Yes, yes. You can't, you can't deter, you know, you can't control what, what people eat, but it, you just, uh, once, once you're aware of it, you see it everywhere. I think, you know, uh, for example, before I had a pig, I used to make the Easter ham. You know, my family used to come over. Now that I'm aware of and, and fully aware of what I was doing, it, I, it's horrible to me. It, you know, I can't take back what I did, but I certainly will not engage or participate in that again. Yeah. You know, um, factory farming, that's, that's a whole other topic. I'm sure you could go on for days on, on that. But interestingly, I'd be curious to know, like, if your family, do they totally understand, like, what your position is that there, there's not the, uh, the ham meal, at least at your house anymore? Uh, we we gather without food, I guess. You know. Oh, just I'll, just I'll put, it, I'll put it that way. Just to steer clear of any conflict and and sort of conversation about it. You mean correct? Yeah, correct. Just simpler that way. You probably found over the years. Yes, yes. I you know I want I want to enjoy the company or or if there's a holiday, um, I I like I'll come early before you eat and then I'll go. You know, it's it. I don't want. I'm there for the company, not for the meal. Yeah, you know so. You still, you still accomplish, you still get to see everybody and say hello and catch up on, on times, but it, it doesn't focus around the mail. I got you. So you mentioned pot-bellied pigs. Is that primarily or even exclusively the kind of pigs that are residents at um, Laughing Pig? No, we have uh, pot bellies. We have a couple of um, farm and pot belly mixes. We have farm and feral. Uh, we have uh, a mule foot Gidget who, uh, who's 300 plus pounds. He's the queen. And then we recently got Ziggy Piggy, who is a feral. He's uh, 13, I think he's about 13 years old, and he's a domesticated feral pig. So we have you know. Yeah. And that's really interesting because I think a lot of people listening probably would think, well, I've, I've driven by uh, on Highway 60 or wherever it might be, and I, I see feral pigs, and uh, I don't think of them as being in a sanctuary or, or hanging out with people or whatever. So are, are feral pigs kind of misunderstood in terms of how readily they can adapt to that sort of situation? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, if they're raised from, from piglet, there's no wild in them. Yeah. Just, just like anything. I think some when people come and they just see, you know, Ziggy, Ziggy, you know, stands out. He's a big guy. And 
I think, uh, you know, I just had the plumbers over the other day. They were curious. And you know, I said, well, come on, come over and, you know, pet them. And I, I think they didn't imagine, you know, giving belly rubs to 300-plus pound pigs yeah. before they left. So, um, <laughs> being in the country, I know, you know, people shoot the pigs and, you know, but some people eat them. Once again, that's nothing that I can control, you know, as long as they're kind to my animals when they come on to the sanctuary property. Right. Along those lines, what is the policy about visiting Laughing Pig? I mean, if you don't happen to be a repair person or whatever that's there to, to do the job, but if they're just someone that's listening and says, hey, I'd like to go see those pigs or meet those pigs or meet Ziggy or whatever. They can, they can make arrangements. They yeah. can make arrangements. They can contact me through, you know, social media or uh, Laughing Pig SS. That's for Senior Sanctuary at AOL.com. And uh, they can reach out to us and say, hey, we would like to come visit. And we could probably make arrangements for that. Yeah. All right. Because I know some sanctuaries, depending on what kind of animals and just the number of animals and where it's located. And there's a number of variables. Don't rarely or, or don't at all have visitors and some have limited visitors, so I was curious if it sounds like you do. You do make uh, allowances for that at times. Right. I I have not been approached that often, but people have asked, and if they want to come, sure. You know, volunteers are great. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, so how does that work? How does someone become a volunteer, and what kind of, how do they train or get cleared for that to uh, to, to come start helping out with the, uh, with the pigs? Uh, well, I never asked them goop poop, so that's a big plus. Um, usually with the pro- it's usually a project. Like for right now, we have um, two donations. We have actually had a um, metal barn built, and this is primarily for the hurricane. So uh, it's a 26 by uh, 50 metal um, barn, and we just had it insulated. We just had the electric put in, and now we're on the final phase of putting in stalls. When Ian came through, uh, I actually stayed in there along with most of the residents, all the residents that we could get in there, um, and we put in, you know, makeshift stalls. But now it's time to, uh, you know, do it a little bit more appropriately. So uh, if anyone wants to um, come out with their contracting, you know, with their, with their construction skills, we would love that. You're still in the process of completing the barn. That is it expressly for when storms and hurricanes come, that that's what it's for, or will they be? Will the barn be used day-to-day for other purposes as well? It's, it's both. It's day-to-day if they want to go in there. Yeah. I'm going to, uh, because it was a bit of a struggle when the hurricane came, you know, to get volunteers. Everyone's struggling to, you know, batten down their own homes and stuff like that. So I plan on doing a, a a monthly, you know, follow me with some cupcakes and come into the barn so they're so they're used to going in there. So um, once it's complete, that's what I would like to do. Make it easier when that time comes. Yeah. Uh, also, if um, if a pig becomes ill and I feel like uh, that pig needs to be isolated or, you know, cared for separately and quietly, I, I could put it, you know, put the pig in the in one of the stalls there. Sure. Do, otherwise, though, do the, do the 22 pigs that are living there now come and go and just roam freely amongst all their other... Are they subdivided in any way for either health reasons or other reasons or... At, at nighttime, they are... Some of them are paired up, but they all have their own little shelter and their own pen area, which is still, it's still large. Yeah. So, I mean, and, it, you know, they I have little Christmas lights to give them a little ambiance at night. Nice. Um, so, for, yeah, I, I think it's really cute. I, I just can't even imagine what it really looks like from an airplane. 
flying <laughs> over the place. Like, what is that? So um, they go in at night, and then uh, after seeding time in the morning, they come out, and I've got, you know, wallow and, and areas so they can graze. There are some that are elders, uh, such as I spoke about uh, Tinker and Olive. I sent you a picture there. Yeah. They, they stay in a... They stay in a pen. Olive is our most senior resident. She's 16. This poor girl, uh, her ears, she barely has any ears. She's, man- you know, they were mangled. Um, she no longer sees. So it's best if she stays, you know, in, in her pen with Tinker. And Tinker is her, her guide pig, her buddy. Wow. Okay. So that's what I mean. Like, there's some limitations amongst the pigs that suggest that they should be kind of kept separately or not necessarily yeah, be yeah. in, in gen, gen pop or whatever it might be. Yeah. Right. A lot, a lot of it is, I would say most of it is determined by them. Yeah. On how, what their personality is, do they want to interact? Yeah. Um, the, the meet and greet between pigs can be a little bit difficult to watch. Sometimes it's n- not nothing much, and sometimes it's uh, it's an altercation. So they get their their pecking order. Oh, you know. Okay. So yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's not pleasant to see, but in in the end, it you know it all works out. That's it, what they do. They're, they're, it gets resolved. Right. Sounds like yeah, right. yeah. Right. All right. Let's take another call. Let's, uh, hi, you're on Talking Animals with Annette Rubleski. Yes, this is uh, this is Grant Baskerville. Hi. And um, actually, I wanted to ask, how about you? Um, can you all do a little bit of discussion in relation to pigs with a movie like, say, Babe or something like that? Is there a renewed interest in pigs? I'm not, I'm not quite sure I understand. Yeah, I think the caller was wondering if because of movies like Babe uh, and others that prominently feature pigs, if that's spurred interest like in or popularity of, of pigs. Is that, is I would it, say so. I, yeah. would, I would definitely say so. Has anyone, yeah. Does anyone know about the movie Babe? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people do. I, I, I think that was quite a few years ago at this point, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of people exactly. pro- remember it, yeah. Sort of like the piglet, the piglet that wanted to be a border collie, or wanted to be a, uh, and interfaced with with uh, sort of a fairy tale, or sort of a fairy tale. Yeah. Did uh, or did anybody see it? Is anybody interested in it? <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think when it was out, as I recall, it was quite popular and people really enjoyed it. And James Cromwell was a, certainly a prominent actor who was in it and I think drew interest to it. And he's he's been a pretty staunch animal advocate uh, probably before, but certainly since. So I think, I think yeah, it really did have, a, I think, quite a bit of impact then, maybe less so now, just because so many years have passed. Maybe somebody wants to, maybe somebody wants to look at Babe again. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, just, just. Your question reminds me of it, and I certainly remember really enjoying that film. And uh, and I think think there, if I remember correctly, I think there was a sequel, right? There was Babe Two, wasn't there? I believe. Possibly, I you know I can't recall. It was probably about fifteen years ago. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for your call, and it does bring a nice memory of that movie. Yeah, for sure. Appreciate it. God bless. Likewise. So, Annette, one thing that you said that I wanted to come back to because uh, I, th- I found it interesting. Are you, did I understand or misunderstand that some pigs get so big, or, or I guess obese, I think is the word you might have used, that condition itself affects their vision? Yes, yes. Um, most people believe that pigs are supposed to be fat. I even thought that when I first got my, my pork chopper, oh my goodness, I was, I was overfeeding him 
And when I took him to the vet, the vet looks at me and says, Annette, this pig's about 80 pounds overweight. I went, oh, my goodness, aren't pigs supposed to be fat? You know, that's, that's what you think. Um, so you go from, from, from one spectrum to the other. Either people want to keep them small because that's what they were told. And, the, you know, so they don't feed them and they starve or they overfeed them and they become obese. And um, sometimes they become fat blind. And that's where their, their eyebrow folds grow over their eyes so they can't see. So it's, it's actually being, their eyes or vision, I guess, is being blocked by folds of uh, skin or, or fat, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and not only, then, then the weight causes um, immobility or, you know, uh, arthritis at an early age. I've had several, and I've, so far I've been really successful um, through weight loss. It can be, you know, they, they can go on to live a long, healthy life. And how do you, um, how do you promote weight loss amongst the, the pigs at, at Laughing Pig that are at either, th- you know, a threat of losing their vision or maybe already have? Once that's happened in a pig, if they do lose the weight, can their vision be restored as a result? Depending on the, the style or, the you know, the, the way the pig is, the way their body is. Yeah. Um, I've been successful so far with about three or four. There's one that has been in under my care now for, it'll be a year in April. Her name is Abby. And it was sort of a challenging for her to lose the weight, but she has. She's lost weight. Unfortunately, her face structure is such that she, that she still has that fold over mm. her eyebrow, you know, her eyebrows. Yeah. For lack of a better word, I call it, I call it the, like the gorilla eyebrow because that's what it looks like. And even though her body looks great, she's mobile. She's, she wasn't extremely obese, but she really needed to get on a better regimen. Um, short of her having surgery, perhaps, Yeah, I don't think she'll stay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it's sad, and it's something, you know, that I, that I might look into. Um, I know other sanctuaries um, have had pigs that were so obese that uh, they do do like a tummy tuck because all that skin is dragging. They're walking on their on their skin once they lose the weight. Yeah. And they also do a facelift. Wow. To, to remove, yeah, yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah, but I mean, it sounds like uh, compared to other people getting a facelift, that in, <laughs> in some cases this brings uh, or restores vision in some cases if, if it's those ones. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that's... Well, with some of the stuff we're talking about, it sounds like there's just day-to-day uh, feeding and caring for the, for 22 pigs, plus things like veterinary care and, and some of these surgical procedures we just talked about. So how is um, how is Laughing Pig funded? Through donations, and, and a lot of it is still self-funded. Okay, so you're you're reaching in your own pocket in many cases to uh, to help cover yeah. whatever costs there are. We just incorporated in 2019, um, and I, I did so in order to be able to help fund it, you know, so people with new auctions and donations and yeah. receive donations uh, and so forth. So I was able to um, take in, you know, more residents. I see. But it's still, I mean, donations, everyone's having difficulty now. You know, times are, you know, tough, and, and donations are down, you know, for everybody. Yeah. But, but it's, you know, it's the nature of the beast. 
For sure. No, it's tough. We're, uh, as you heard at the beginning of the show, the radio station's about to go into its it's fun drive, and and it's difficult. It's just people are, things are tough. Prices are up for everything. People just don't have as much kind of money that they might have otherwise wanted to to donate to WMF or to Laughing Pig or whatever. It's just, it's just tough times. But for people who do want to, maybe upon hearing this conversation, do want to support Laughing Pig. So it sounds like the two main things, I don't believe you have an actual website, but but that you can look for Laughing Pig Sanctuary on Facebook and on Instagram. And through those measures, I guess you could find a way to donate in support of the sanctuary, correct? Absolutely. We also uh, do Cash App, uh, Venmo, PayPal. Okay, great. And it, right. And they're all through Laughing Pig SS at AOL.com. Okay, cool. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So, and I'm sure this is a question you've been asked uh, a zillion times, but how did Laughing Pig get its name? <laughs> It's an absolute pleasure for me to share this with you, Tonka. Um, when I when I spoke in the beginning of our conversation about the two girls that I took in shortly after I took in Chopper, mm-hmm. they were Ophelia and Contessa. And when I used to say to and unfortunately neither one of them are, are still with us, but when I used to ask Contessa, is it funny? She would open up her mouth as if she was laughing. Wow. And there's a video on, on Facebook of that. And I, I'd be like, is it funny, Ted? Is it funny? And she would open her mouth as if she were laughing. And that's how I came up with Laughing Pig. Wow. That's so a great. Laughing Pig is a happy pig. That's our- Yeah. Well, so many pigs, I mean, just kind of when you see them, they, they often look like they're smiling at the very least. So it doesn't, doesn't you know, it's not that big of a leap to imagine them actually laughing. Yeah. Yeah. She's I, the only one. I, I never, I, I don't think I've actually asked any of my other ones if they think it's funny. But that's, that's how uh, I came up with that. Name. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you should start asking the rest of them because uh, <laughs> you may, you may get some good answers. I, yeah. I, I no. Silly me for not thinking of that. Thank you for bringing that to my attention, Duncan. For, for sure. We try to do what we can. <laughs> so now um, I know we talked briefly, or I mentioned briefly that uh, at the beginning of the show that one of the things that's coming up is this uh, Have a Heart, uh, Florida Voices for Animals, Have a Heart Annual Awards Dinner and Auction Fundraiser. And as part of that, that's on Saturday, February 25th, by the way, at Solid Rock Community School uh, in Tarpon Springs. And again, floridavoicesforanimals.org uh, to find out more or get your tickets. But um, you'll be speaking on a panel on that. I want to maybe ask you for a little sneak preview about what you might be saying that day. But I think we're going to try to take one more call at least before we get to that. Hi, you're on Talking oh. Animals with Annette Rubleski. Hello. Hello. You're on the air. Oh, okay. Um, I just wanted to ask if um, uh, the uh, the your guest promotes veganism. Well, we touched on that oh, earlier, yeah, but absolutely. go ahead, Annette. Absolutely, yes. Veganism is, um, and, and this is just in my opinion, it's a journey. Um, it is for some, it's a matter of a, a you know, all of a sudden light goes on and they say, oh, I'm not going to you know eat meat or or any. I'm just going to be vegan. Some people have done it in a day. For others, it's a journey. Um, for me, it, it was a journey. Um, uh, I think, how can I say this? Just the, the more I learned about it and the more, uh, for example, when I was saying things, all of a sudden you're awake. Um, I used to like down pillows. I never, ever thought about the process. I thought, well, the ducks lost their feathers and people went around and picked them up and put them in pillows. You know, like you don't, you don't think about that process. Um, once Social media and the internet came about, and you now know the suffering that the animals go through in order for us to have those products. It's an awakening. So, absolutely. So, you're I, a vegan? Every day you make a choice. Every day that you 
that you make a compassionate choice is a win for the animal. Exactly. Okay, thank you so much for your call. Thank Appreciate you. it. Okay, so okay. on a sort of related note, we'll circle back to the Have a Heart um, dinner. And as I was starting to say, there's a panel of speakers, and you're one of those speakers. So do you want to give us a little sneak preview of what people might uh, hear you saying at, at the panel discussion at Have a Heart on, on the 25th? Absolutely. I'm really excited um, because this is the first time, just like this is the first time I'm on a talk show. This is the first time I've been invited to um, speak uh, at a, it's an auction, uh, it's a silent auction, a dinner, a fundraiser, um, and they have asked me to talk about the story of Ziggy, the um, domesticated feral that is now under our care. Yeah. And um, he is a very special boy because he has really escaped death and slaughter twice. Wow. So um, he's a really lucky boy, and um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to tell that. Unfortunately, I'm, I, you know, I'm the, the last one to have him, but briefly, his story is uh, he was raised by a couple um, for slaughter, and once he became three years old, I guess the wife didn't have the heart to do so, so uh, they needed to find a home for Ziggy, and they reached out to Florida Voices for Animals, and uh, through networking, Florida Voices for Animals was able to to home him with Ted Coran from the Critter Play. Uh, he's up on Wakey Watchy. So uh, he had Ziggy for 10 years, and I had visited Ted in the past, so I already met Ziggy, and he was a beautiful big boy. And last July, Ted became ill, and unfortunately, um, most of his the animals had to be quickly rehomed because he was the primary caregiver. Yeah. So uh, through uh, networking with uh, Yesikin Sanctuary, who's up there, and Live Freely Sanctuary, and myself, we were able to um, home the pigs within about 24 to 48 hours. Wow, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it was a very happy ending. All right, well, so we're sort of just past our time now, Annette, but, uh, but that sounds like uh, something more to look forward to at the uh, Have a Heart Dinner. And uh, so we've been speaking with Annette Rubleski. Again, from Laughing Pig Sanctuary, you can find uh, them on socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, find out more about what they do and meet some of the pigs that we've talked about. And uh, and again, you can see her as part of this panel at ha the Have a Heart Florida Voices for Dinner, February 25th at Solid Rock Community School in Tarpon Springs. You can find out more about that at floridavoicesforanimals.org. So, Annette, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals and all your great work on behalf of our pig friends. Thank you so much for having me. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you. In a moment, we'll speak with Nancy Murrah, who uh, many may recognize as CEO of the Rapture Center of Tampa Bay. She was on the show a few years ago and uh, brought birds in and we streamed it and all kinds of cool stuff. Today, though, she'll be briefly discussing a club she runs for young people ages 8 through 18 called Nature's Guardian, which aims to cultivate an appreciation of nature. And uh, we'll hear about their next session of that kind which is set for this Friday, February 17th. Right now, we're going to step into the Comedy Corner. This is Donnell Rawlings with a piece called Wild Whale in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. We got a wild whale that's killing people in SeaWorld. <laughs> that's not funny, but the headlines were funny. Killer whale kills. <laughs> what the hell you think a killer whale going to do? If you go to Brooklyn and somebody named Killer Mike, you don't think he's going to give you no roses. I gotta get the hell out. Killer Mike is at the blocks, right? And that whale wasn't a regular whale. He was a notorious whale. He killed two people before he got to Sea World. Now, white people gotta find something else to save. White people used to love save whales. Save the whales. We gotta save the whales. 
Once that well get that white, that well turned into a pit bull. <laughs> like, get this goddamn well out of here. God. Damn O.J. Simpson well, get out of here. <laughs> the well killed two people before he got there. That's why I thought he might have been a white well. Because only a white well could kill two people and just get a transfer. Willie, we're gonna have to move you down to SeaWorld. You're too hot up here. He killed he hurt. And he's in danger, so he was cocky about it. He's like, y'all can't do that. I'm in danger, bitch. He know you can't do nothing to you. Can't, you can't kill him because he's in danger. And you can't put him back in the wild, the ocean, because he don't know how he grew up in captivity. He don't know how to survive and eat on his own. He used to doing tricks and he would never make it in the Pacific Ocean. Them whales be laughing. This is, <laughs> they out there hunting like Jaws. Dun, 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 dun. And he out there doing tricks. Ah! Ah! Man, what's wrong with this dude? We kill people out here, man. That was Donnell Rowling in today's comedy corner with a piece called Wild Whale, taken from his album From Ashy to Class. You now it's time to speak with Nancy Murrah about this great club for young folks age 8 through 18 called Nature's Guardian. This is Nancy Murrah back on Talking Animals on WF. Good morning, Nancy. Good morning. Thanks for returning and joining us again on Talking Animals. First, you were on the show in 2019, and your guy is the CEO of the Raptor Center of Tampa Bay and bringing some birds into the studio, which was fun and educational. Briefly review for us what the Raptor Center is and its chief mission before we get into Nature's Guardian. The Raptor Center is a rehabilitation center for wildlife. We specialize in birds of prey, so eagles, owls, kites, falcons, hawks, vultures, and osprey. And we're looking to build a center in the uh, Tampa Bay area um, that's open to the public. Nice. All right, so how did the idea for Nature's Garden uh, come to you? Well, we've been doing this for about 14 years. We started doing programs with libraries and state parks and uh, got a bunch of kids together. And I'm happy to say that 13 years later, some of those same kids still come as teenagers to the program. And uh, a couple years ago during COVID, they decided they wanted to be a, a nature club as opposed to just a, a coming to programs. So they picked the name Nature's Guardians, and um, we have been getting together the third Friday of every month um, for years, and uh, we welcome all new people. This Friday uh, is 17th, so we're, we're here again, um, going to be doing our program this Friday. One of the things you talked about, about how many years you've been doing it, and so some of the kids have been in it the whole time, because I was curious to know if the age range, which is great on the one hand, but on the other hand, if it ever it was been too wide, like... Is there a topic for an eight or nine year old that may or may not hold the attention of a, let's say, a 17 or 18 year old? Well, I tell you, we gear our programs to eight years old to about 13 or 14. Okay. And they're, uh, the, the thing that's nice is the kids who've been uh, with us for a long time kind of serve as, uh, you know, helpers to the, to the younger kids nice. or the newer kids that have come in. Great. And, uh, you know, it, sometimes I'll be talking. There's this one young man who's been coming since he was three. He's 14. And uh, he's very quiet. And if I can't get anyone else in the class to answer, I can always say, Parker, I know you know the answer. What is it? <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it does seem to work out well, and we do see we try to utilize the older children um, in a capacity of something that's a little more complex. I got gotcha. you. What's the focus of uh, this Friday's session? So this Friday is Animal Tracks. Um, I call it the Sand Tells the Story. Uh, we'll be going out to Golden Aster Preserve at ten thirty, and we'll be casting animal tracks. There's a lot of animals that go through there at night, and so uh, we will look for tracks, and then 
identify those with track cards and uh, cast tracks with plaster of Paris, then everyone will go home with an animal track. Wow, cool. And what kind of animals typically are, are leaving those tracks? Well, a lot of uh, bobcat, boar, cool. deer, skunk, nice. hawk, coyote. Uh, you know, even the little snake tracks through the sand. Golden Aster is a scrub preserve. And so undeveloped um, land that was uh, pretty common throughout Florida and uh, easy for people to develop because there's not a lot of high trees in, on the, you know, in scrub in that habitat. So uh, the habitat is, is, comes alive at night. Yeah. Sometimes if you're out there in the daytime, you might be saying, geez, there's a bunch of palmettos. I'm out here in sugar sand while I'm out here. Um, but uh, it is a very um, unique area to Florida. So we talk about the scrub also. And, and the other benefit is we have to take water with us to... Uh, mixed up for the plaster of Paris, and it really gives us an opportunity to talk to people about how much we take fresh water for granted. You know, there's a lot of people who have one bucket of water, and they go down to the river, and they hike a mile back with it, and that's what they use all day. Man. And uh, so they, they find out that water's pretty heavy, and but, but it's necessary for everything that we do with life. Wow, that sounds really great. So if uh, parents uh, just hearing about this maybe for the first time, how would they get in touch with you or find out more or try to register their kid, or how, how does it work? Well, they can, they can give us a call at our number, which is 813-205-1851. We are uh, the Raptor Center of Tampa Bay. We have a presence on social media as, you know, both Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Um, they can communicate with us through there. And Nature's Guardian has its own page. Um, it is a private page that uh, you have to be part of the club to, to have access to because that's where we post all the pictures of the kids. And we don't want to do that, you know, where it's oh. accessible to the general Yeah, public. there's some legalities so, there. So yeah. if you become a member of the club, you have we have a special special uh, website and a special Facebook page. That sounds great. Well, this sounds really terrific. What a great program. And obviously it's been working well for 14 years and probably uh, many more years to come. So thanks, Nancy, for filling us in. Thank you. Thank you. We do it the third Friday of every month. Great. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. Coming up on WNF, the music kicks back in with Scott Elliott from noon to 3 p.m., a glorious three hours of music, followed by Robin Hooper with yet another three hours of music. And we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond. Meanwhile, on this show at the moment is a prize for Name That Animal Tune. I'll be offering a pair of tickets to National Geographic Live, Wild Hope with Amy Vitale, the Strass Center on February 21st. That's next Tuesday. The first person who calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies this animal song. It's Name That Animal Tune on Talking Animals on WNF. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, that is, of course, unless the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. Go right to the source and ask the horse, he'll give you the answer that you'll endorse. He's always on a steady course, talk to Mr. Ed. Keep a yakety yak a streak and waste your time of day. But Mr. Ed will never speak. All right, we have just about reached the end of Talking Animals on WNF Tampa. Please join me next week when Fabulous Flea and I will be raising money on Talking Animals the first day of WNF's Winter Fun Drive. Thanks. It's WNF Tampa. Scott Elliott's up next after NPR News Headlines. Thanks.